0: Started the ministry here, the worship was me, and uh, there was usually a woman playing on the organ. It's so great now to see the gifting that we're able to have as a part of our worship here on Sunday mornings. And I want to thank you all for coming here. I know there's a big distraction going on right now. We usually have a slide up on the wall that says, Please silence your cell phones during the service. And I was going to put a little extra in there, but you can watch the hockey game if you want to. If you made it here for this service. We're continuing on a series of teaching through a book called The Story. And it's not the Bible, but it's a complement to the Bible. It helps us to understand the Bible in an even greater way. And we're actually going to be looking today at the third chapter. And if this is your first time here and you don't have a copy yet, please stop by the Welcome Center on the way out and you can get a complimentary copy. So chapter 3, it's all about Joseph. And Joseph gets a lot of ink in the Old Testament, all the way from Genesis chapter 37 through to the end of the book, the 50th chapter. And there's a book series called Choose Your Own Adventure. And it was very popular back in the 80s and 90s. My daughters never got into it. But in this book series, which sold some 250 million copies, you would actually choose who you were going to be. It, it might be a, a private investigator. It might be a race car driver. could be a doctor. could be a spy. So you'd read through the book, and then you'd come to a section where you would choose the next step. So if you went to page 50. This would happen if you went to page 100, then your adventure would move in that direction. So everybody had control of where they were going to. But we know that that is written as a children's story, and that's because adults know that isn't what life is really like. We'd love it if we could somehow determine our own destiny and stay away from disappointment, but as kids, we really think we have control, but as adults we know that we don't. We start off in life thinking that our story will be written a certain way, but then it just never quite goes the way that we planned it. We have our dreams, but our dreams have a way of slapping us in the face. But right now we're watching the last day of the Olympics. And there were a lot of people that were supposed to get gold medals for Canada or at least be in the medals. And something happened and they weren't able to do that. It might have been a slip going around the corner. It might even have been a judge's error. It might have been going outside of the course and the ski race. Many different reasons. But I love the way that our media has actually handled it so much better this time. They don't treat it as a day of mourning each time someone has failed. Each time someone's story hasn't worked out the way they wanted it to. And they haven't had to go and apologize to the country on TV for letting the country down. Reality slapped Joseph in the face. He's the son of Jacob, also called Israel. He's the grandson of Isaac and the great-grandson of Abraham. Like, what a heritage this guy has... And he's growing up as a teenager in a dysfunctional home. He's the youngest of 11 sons. And his father gives him this coat. It's a coat of many colors. And it's a statement to the other brothers. It's not just a coat. The father is actually saying, This son is my favorite. I love him the most. This son is the one who's going to receive the majority of my inheritance. And because he's wearing this coat, he's not going to be out there in the fields working. That You guys are going to do all of that. Now that would be like on Christmas morning, and you have 11 sons, and you give 10 of them a sponge rubber ball, and then the other guy gets an iPad. It just doesn't work out there. And sure enough, there's a problem. So read with me in Genesis 37, verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than the rest, they grew to hate him and couldn't find it in themselves to speak to him without resentment or argument. And some of you know how quickly you don't get to choose your own adventure because you didn't get to choose the home that you grew up in. And maybe it's not the type of home that you would have wanted. Instead of love, there's a lot of hatred going around. And there's not. A kind word being spoken. Joseph's in a home like that. He has three stepmothers. And they're all living in the one house. And that's where he's growing up. In a home like that. And many people grow up in homes like that as well. (coughs) That kind of crush the dreams that they have. And Joseph doesn't help matters at all. Because he has a dream about his brothers bowing down to him. Now if you're a younger sibling... And you're taking notes here this morning. Like, write this down. If you have a dream where you are greater than your other siblings, like keep it to yourself. But not Joseph. Like next breakfast, he's there, hey guys, guess what I dreamt last night? And he goes on to tell them all about the dream. Like, not a smart move. So one day Jacob sends Joseph out into the fields where the other brothers are working. So they're sweating, they're tired, the dirt is sticking to them, they're hungry, and then along comes their brother in this fancy coat. And they can see him from quite a distance away. So we pick up again in verse 19. Joseph's brothers are tired of his arrogant presence. Each and every one of them has a bill of complaint against Joseph. Now Joseph's brothers say to each other, Well, here comes the great dreamer. Let's kill him and throw his body into one of the pits. Then we can tell everyone a wild animal killed and devoured him. We'll see then what becomes of his stupid dreams. Now Judah, who was one of Leah's sons and would be one of the oldest boys, he intervenes here. And in verse 26, What profit will it be for us if we just kill our brother and conceal the crime? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites instead. We won't have to lay a hand on him then. He is, after all, our brother, our own flesh and blood. And all the brothers agreed. So that's what they do. And here's Joseph at the age of 17 being sold into slavery in Egypt. And he's sold as a slave to one of Pharaoh's officials. His name was Potiphar. And he was actually the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguards. And the brothers, they want to cover up what they've done, so they kill a goat They take the blood, they put it on the coat, and then they take the coat back to their father. They don't actually say anything. They just present it to him. And then the father immediately assumes that his son has been killed by a wild animal. And they don't say anything differently. And then the poor man, he starts to mourn because of the fact that he has lost his son. Now back in Egypt... Joseph's doing okay as Pharaoh's slave. Pharaoh sees that he's got some management and some administration ability. So it's not very long before he puts Joseph in charge of his whole business. And the Bible says, with Joseph in charge, Potiphar had no concern for anything except his private affairs. So he's kind of worked his way up as far as he can go then the story starts to take on a bit of a soap opera twist. The Bible tells us that Joseph was very well built. He was handsome. And Potiphar's wife, who's most likely a very beautiful Egyptian woman, a trophy wife, she becomes enthralled with Joseph. And she says, come to bed with me. But Joseph responds in chapter 39, verse 9. Why would I do something so clearly wrong and sin so blatantly against God. Then the Bible says, although she pursued him day after day, Joseph would not consent to sleep with her, and even refused to be alone with her. So there's a whole lot of disappointment in Joseph's story. It started off with that amazing dream of his brothers bowing down to him, but now here he is in the midst of all these disappointments, but he still remains faithful what happens with many of us when disappointment comes into our lives? Like, we tend t- to allow the disappointment to justify disobedience. That God's not keeping up his end of the bargain here, so it's okay if I stray a little bit. Or, or look at where I'm at. This isn't how the story was supposed to go. And because God has let me down, I'm just going to do what I want. So we allow that disappointment to justify disobedience. Especially in the area of sexual sin. But maybe you're still single. And by now you thought that God would have brought this amazing person into your life. But he hasn't. And you've tried to follow God's standard. But the longer he takes, the more tempted you are to kind of lower your standard. And you easily justify your disobedience. Or maybe even worse than that is to be married and to be disappointed. A wife who doesn't remember the last time that she felt loved by her husband, or or listened to, or even honored. So she thinks it's okay to flirt at the office or to kind of connect with that old boyfriend through the internet. Or there's a husband whose wife thinks that intimacy should come somewhere between washing the dishes and scrubbing the floors. It's more like a chore to her. So he justifies jogging onto that website. In moments of disappointment, we have a tendency to justify disobedience. The Joseph's story isn't going the way that he wanted. He's had these dreams. And now his brothers have sold him as a slave. His dad thinks he's dead. He is now stuck here in Potiphar's household. He is serving with no rights. He'll never be married. What happens in Egypt stays in Egypt. He could have so easily gone with that philosophy. But instead, he chose to be faithful to God in the midst of his disobedience. And then one day, Potiphar's wife takes him to another level. She says the usual, come to bed with me. But this time she grabs his cloak. But he runs out of the room and out of the house. And she's standing there with his cloak in her hands. So she screams, great! And the security guys come in and they take Joseph away and Potiphar has him thrown into prison. Now bodyguard literally means executioner. So Potiphar was the chief executioner for Pharaoh. And the favorite way that he had of executing people was to bury them alive. So this executioner certainly wouldn't have just thrown Joseph into prison. Except that we can safely assume that he trusted Joseph more than his wife. And this was actually his way of saving face. But Joseph ends up spending 10 years in prison. Now, he actually is chained in a dungeon, at least at the beginning, and he's done nothing to deserve this. And as we go through the story, we're going to see a lot of people making some decisions in their lives, and they deserve the consequences. Adam and Eve when they ate that fruit. Abraham and Sarah when they chose to bring Hagar into their marriage. And now here's Joseph. His decisions haven't brought the heartache in his life. His decisions haven't brought the disappointment. He's done nothing to deserve it. He was a victim of someone else's disobedience. Someone else's decisions and choices. He started off with that dream. and, And now... He's a slave, and what's worse than that? He has become a prisoner. Now, here's a question for you: As we reach this point in the story, that where is God in the midst of this disappointment? That 13 years that for Joseph, and some of you might be in a tough chapter of your story right now, and that's the question you're asking. And it might be a marital situation. It might be something going on with your business. It might be something with your health. It could be abuse. And you're thinking, like, where is God in the midst of my disappointment? Or maybe a better word that you could use is, where is he in the midst of my devastation? Where is God when you're in that dungeon? In chapter 36 gives us a couple of, actually 39 gives us a couple of reminders. And the first one is when Joseph was a slave. So in verse 2, note what it says. The Eternal One was with Joseph. And then when Joseph's in prison, at the end of that chapter, verse 23, we read the very same thing. The Eternal One was with him. So it doesn't seem like it, but he's there. And then that warden sees something special in Joseph, just like Potiphar did. And it's not very long before the warden puts Joseph in charge of the prison. And there are a couple of other People who were prisoners there, and they've had these dreams that really troubled them. And they knew that these dreams meant something. And they shared the dreams with Joseph, and Joseph gave the interpretation, and the interpretation that he gave for each one of them came exactly true. So as you read the story, you might think, well, that's nice. But a couple of years later... The cupbearer, one of those two men, is at a prison. He's back working in Pharaoh's palace, working for the most powerful man in the world. And then Pharaoh has these troubling dreams. And he brings in all of his wise counselors, and they're clueless. They can't figure out what these dreams mean. And then the cupbearer is kind of in the background. He hears what's going on. And he comes up to Pharaoh and he says, you know something, there was this Hebrew named Joseph who was back in prison. And he has the ability to interpret dreams. So Pharaoh has Joseph summoned. And here we have the most powerful man in the world telling this slave his dream. And God gave Joseph the interpretation of his dream. And Pharaoh knows that it's from God. So we're now in chapter 41, verse 38. So Pharaoh to his advisor says, Is there anyone else you know like Joseph who has the Spirit of God within him? And unto Joseph, he said, "Since God has shown all of this to you, I can't imagine anyone wiser and more discerning than you. Therefore you will be in charge of my household. All of my people will report to you and do as you say. Only I, because I sit on the throne, will be greater than you. I hereby appoint you head over all the land of Egypt. So here he is, a slave, a prisoner. And he has now been appointed deputy pharaoh over the land of Egypt. And, and what does he do? Like, like, like how, how does this happen? It's because God is writing the story. And we saw it last week when God wanted to populate a nation. What does he do? He says, let's go with this old fertile, infertile couple, excuse me, named Abraham and Sarah. And it's time for God to rescue his people because a famine is coming. And he wants to get one of his people into a position of power and authority. And look at who he chooses. He chooses a former slave, an ex-con named Joseph, who was just 30 years of age. And there was no quicker way for him to actually be in that position. So once again, God chooses an unlikely cast of characters to fulfill his story. To execute his plan and save millions of people from a severe famine. Now that famine spreads out, and eventually it goes to the neighboring countries. And sure enough, it affects Israel. And Joseph's father and his brothers are back there, and they have money, they have resources. They've heard that Egypt has been stockpiling grain, so. Jacob sends his sons, his ten oldest sons, to go down there and to buy some grain. So his brothers arrive on the scene. So remember now, it's 22 years since they last saw Joseph. So they don't recognize him at all. And then they bow down before him, they are before the deputy pharaoh. And they bow down so that dream has come true. And then Joseph puts them through a series of tests because he wants to make certain that they've changed. He wants to see that their hearts are different. And he also wants to know that they had more respect for their father. And he plays with them a little bit. But finally, he just can't hold it in any longer. And in chapter 45, look what we then Joseph could no longer keep his composure. The room was crowded with people, so he ordered his attendants, sent everyone out of the room. Joseph didn't want anyone else in the room when he finally told his brothers his true identity. But he began to cry so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the Pharaoh's household heard it as well. Joseph turned and addressed his brothers, "'I am Joseph.' Is my father still alive? But his brothers were too shocked to speak. They couldn't answer, for they were so overwhelmed that they were standing in Joseph's presence. And then Joseph to his brothers, Come closer to me. And his brothers approached him cautiously. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Don't be upset or angry with yourselves any longer because of what you did. You see, God sent me here ahead of you to preserve life." So what he's telling them is that it's all part of God's story. And like don't be angry at yourselves here. Even though you intended to do me harm, like God didn't intend it that way at all. Now the brothers didn't know that at the time. Joseph didn't know it at the time that he was going through all of it. But God was working. And here's something I want you to note. That God didn't cause the brothers to sin and sell their brother as a slave and then lie to their father. God didn't cause Potiphar's wife to lust after Joseph and then lie about the attack. But look at what God does. That he takes the broken pieces and he takes the disappointment and he says, I can work with that. And he uses all of that to fulfill his purpose. So it's for Joseph's good. And it's for God's glory that he saves. That's the way that God works. So Joseph said that God had preserved his life. And he said, I want you to know that God can preserve your story. So don't ever give up. When everything is broken or busted or you think it's too late, that God can still fix it. That he can take all those broken pieces and he can make them into something beautiful. the upper story in all of this is that God is working through everything. And he he is working through our lives as well. And he wants to take those broken pieces because they eventually lead to Jesus, the one who saved the world from sin. Joseph spent a lot of time as a slave and as a prisoner, but God hadn't left him. And he was at work the whole time. And Joseph sees it now. And he's not angry with his brothers. And it's easier in hindsight, isn't it, to look back and see how God had worked through all these situations. And how he had put the pieces together. I was just reflecting on my own life. I grew up in a Christian home. And as my wife said, sheltered for the most part. And, And that's true. All my family members were Christians. My best friends were all Christians. So I got through high school relatively unscathed. I had the president of Maritime Christian College come to visit me. He said he saw something in me for ministry, and, but I went to the guidance counselor instead, who looked at my marks and said, You'd make a good CA. And I looked back now and realized how horrible that would have been for me be <laughs> stuck at a desk all day long and not had much contact with people. And yesterday morning I went over to Dartmouth to help Tim and Karen Cook project for the crossing, the new church that they're planning there. And they sent invitations out to the whole, basically 10,000 homes in darkness, so it's not the whole community. And they had 350 people show up for a movie at the crossing. And I just spent my time going through that lineup, talking to people, just enjoying it. So I thought, okay, I will become a CA. I was recruited to play football at Mount Allison University, so I enrolled in business there. But then there was this girl I liked, and she was going away to university too, so I didn't go to try out for the football team. And then I didn't like the program I was taking very well, and when hockey season started, every Wednesday and every weekend I was hitchhiking back home to Prince Edward Island to play So the year didn't go that well. Mom called it a year chalked up to experience. But during the latter part of that year, that was when I felt the calling to the ministry. And I enrolled at Maritime Christian College. And one of the pastors teaching my courses had this amazing daughter that I didn't let get away. And she has turned out to be an amazing pastor's wife. And God was working through all of that. And when I graduated, There were some bigger churches in Toronto and Edmonton and Calgary that had openings and and I applied for them. Even if there had been one in Montreal, I wouldn't have applied because I was looking at National Hockey League teams. That's why I wanted to go to those cities. I was thinking, I could get a season's pass. But they all graciously turned me down. But there was a small rural church in New Brunswick that accepted me and... loved me for five years and prepared me to be able to take on the challenge of a city church. And then Fred Osborne, who was the lead planner of this congregation, left after seven years. And my name was seventh on the list of seven as potential pastors. But God let it be that all the other six had some reason or another why they couldn't be here. So I ended up as a pastor. And that was 25 years ago. Now I know A lot of that seems insignificant to you. But in heaven one day, we're going to discover that there are a lot of insignificant things that God has been working through in order to shape our story. You're familiar with Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And that's all things. Those are the key words in there. It's the good things and the bad things. It's the exciting things and the not so exciting things. It's the little things and the big things. It's in all things. And and that's a promise from God. And we don't get to choose our own adventure. But we do get to choose how we're going to respond to the circumstances in our lives. To the disappointments that we are inevitably going to face. So how will your story read? When you're dealing with a chapter that might be entitled unemployed, or divorced, or abused, or terminal. The disappointment will come, and the tendency is actually to become bitter, and to become withdrawn. But the amazing thing is that through all of that disappointment, God is speaking to you. He is still there, and He is working all of this out for the good. So how will you respond? But we all want to start off thinking that our story is going to go in a certain way. But it never quite goes the way that we planned it. We don't get to plan our adventure. We don't know the challenges that we're going to face in our lives. But we do get to react to those challenges. We do get to remind ourselves that God is there with us through all of that. That He is there in that disappointment. He gets the last word.